Good morning. How y'all doing? Good. Did you enjoy the worship? That's a good way to start the day, right? Kind of set our hearts right. All right, y'all ready for an amazing day of amazing speakers? Yes. We are privileged today to hear from Pastor Leron as our first speaker. Pastor Leron is no stranger to this pulpit. In fact, I think this is his pulpit. <laughs> we actually stole it from him about six months ago. Thanks a lot, Pastor Leron. We've enjoyed using it. <laughs> if I could suggest an upgrade, we need like a little, a little like cup holder or something. That would be, that'd be perfect. Okay. <laughs> But we've been blessed, all of us have, to get to know Pastor Laurent, to hear from him previously on a number of occasions. Uh, he has an amazing wife, Kiona. He's been blessed with four children. He and Kiona have been married for 19 years, which is awesome. Praise the Lord. Many of you don't know that uh, he was ordained as an elder in 2010. Um, I believe that was the same year... I was ordained as an elder, so that's awesome. And Ecclesia started out in a barber shop, right? Then it went to your home, then to Washington University, then to a banquet center, and then to the best place here. <laughs> so we, we have been blessed to have Ecclesia meet at Liberty on Sunday afternoons. It's been a privilege. We've had some opportunities for joint services. Um, haven't, hasn't happened this past year uh, because of COVID and different things, but Justice and I have been in uh, regular contact with Pastor Laurent and, and talking and um, fellowshipping, so we are looking forward to having those happen again in the very near future. Um, amen? Because those are good times. <clears throat> so without further further ado, let's give it up for Pastor Laurent. man and saying to them that he gives a commandment now the thing about a commandment is it is not optional there is no room to for it to be debated and he commands us his children that we love one another and he doesn't just leave it there he puts the punchline in there and said as I have loved you but this last part is very powerful in verse 35 he said it is by our love towards each other that men within and without the circle of the body of Christ will know that we are his very powerful if now that is a big word because if means there is a contingency that we may or may not do it even though it is a commandment but he says if so there's a possibility that somebody may not fall in line with this particular scripture if you have loved one to another. Now that to me is powerful because we see God's disciples casting out devils, healing the sick, causing the lame to walk, speaking in new tongues, but he doesn't say any of that in regard to this is going to be a sign for those who, who are my children. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, not because you were raised the dead, not because you were speaking tongues, not because you were cast out devils, this is powerful, but because you will have or should have love one to another. And then we find in Hebrews, hallelujah, another command that teaches us as the body of Christ that we are not at liberty to forsake assembling ourselves together as the manner of some is. In other words, as some people conduct and behave themselves, even in this time, a lot of people feel that fellowship, I can just be saved and have a relationship with God in the privacy of my own home. But that's not the construct that God built for us to have fellowship. No man is an island. No man is alone. There is something that takes place when we all gather together and assemble in the name of Jesus Christ. Something magical that happens underneath the surface in our hearts and in our spirit. Number one, we're humbling ourselves. All of us, you know, we, we're adults. Most of us that are not children, obviously, we are adults. But what I like about the word of God, Jesus gave a, a, a sermon to his disciples when he was 
uh, approached by children. And as some of us would be, you know, the disciples were like, kids, you guys get out of here. This is not for kids. This is grown folk stuff. But Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me for such, watch this, is of the kingdom of heaven. For unless you with your own 40, 50, 60 year old self have the heart of a child, you will in no way enter into my kingdom. So the heart of a child, when we see a commandment in the word of God, although we are grown, and we had this idea that, oh, I can't wait till I'm grown so I can do what I want to do. That was, a, that was an illusion. That was not real. You, <laughs> how many adults know that by show of hands? That was not real. We thought that when we turned 18, we were going to be able to do what we wanted to do because we got tired of people, mom, dad, telling us take out the trash, sweep the floor, get up, go to school, whatever the case may be, only to find out that the older we got, the more responsibility, come on, somebody, that fell on our plate. We're still not at a place where we're able to do what we want to do. But we are the children of God, so we ought to behave and conduct ourselves in that manner by being obedient to his word. So number one, the, the, the importance and the reason why we fellowship is because God said so. He doesn't need any other reason. We don't need any other reason other than the fact that God commanded us to do this. Glory be to God. And I'm not going to be big and bad enough to go and undo what God told us to do. That's why I commend those of you who are continuing to come to the house of God and to fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ in 2021 where the world is trying to eradicate and remove the power of the fellowship of the Latter-day Church. And because everything is virtual now, you know, we can Zoom church now. We can, but there's something about being together that takes away, hallelujah, from the Zoom and, and that is more potent than, than receiving the word over the Internet. I'm grateful for the opportunity, don't get me wrong, that technology has afforded, especially in this pandemic, where we can continue to have church. But there's nothing like being in the company of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Glory be to God. Amongst those who I can relate with, amongst those who have the same spirit that we have, that I have, because in the world, there is a lot of div division. There is a lot of cliques. There's a lot of social class. But one thing about the body of Christ is that there is no social class. Nobody is classified by how they look, how they behave, how they act. As long as we all conduct ourselves under the confines of God's word, then we are included in the family of God. What an amazing thing that God has done for us. Because it makes no difference what your origin is. It makes no difference how old you are. When I first came into the church, one of the main things that kept me into a church as a young teenager full of older and elderly people was the love that these people had. It was unlike anything that I had ever experienced or seen because when you come out of the world, you begin to develop this ideology that nobody is genuine. That nobody can be real, nobody can really love you like that. They don't even know me. But when I came into the church, a group of believers who did not even know me embraced me, pulled me under their wings, took me to their homes. Come on, somebody. Broke bread with me. Didn't worry about whether they had to watch to see if I was going to take anything. They just accepted me in the family of God. And it was amazing because when you come out of the world, most of the time you're broken, you're destroyed, you're hurt, you're offended. And I was very vulnerable in coming out of the world, very hurt, very offended, very on the defense because of the things that I had experienced in my life. But when I came into the family of God, these people showed me a love that I had never experienced before. And after church, the only thing I could think about was I cannot wait to get back in the presence of those people so that I can experience this love again. They don't even know me, but they've accepted me and called me a brother. They don't even know me, and they're asking me to come back to their homes and to have dinner with them. See, fellowship will exceed the four walls of any edifice. And here's the problem with the Latter-day Church, because most of the time we only have a relationship with each other on Sunday. But Monday through Saturday, I don't know you. 
you know, we need to create an opportunity where we can fellowship not just here, but outside the four walls because community in the body of Christ is not restricted to the church. Community in the body of Christ is etched together by the Spirit of God that we are all connected to the point to where those people knew by the discernment of the Holy Spirit what I was going through. Something powerful. Glory be to God. So fellowship is a commandment, and it is the foundation of the church. Never before in history do we see a unity and the forming of such an unbiased institution as the body of Christ that is founded in love. Where else can you go in this world to find an organization or a body of people who are willing to accept you as you are, and it is founded in love and fellowship, biblical love and fellowship. Nowhere else can you go to find that kind of agape. The Bible talks about the agape love other than in the walls of the four church or amongst those who have the spirit of Christ. Because those of us who have the spirit of Christ, we know and understand that we're not better than you. We know and understand that all have what? sin and falling short of the glory of God so I cannot judge you I'm in no position to lay judgment against you because I'm no better than you that's why Paul said know ye not O man that judge it know ye not that you do the same thing that you're judging your brother for so it makes me accept you because I understand you I understand that you were once a sinner stained, regardless of what walk of life you come from. We all share that commonality that we were entangled in sin, ensnared in sin. So when we come into the body of Christ, I can receive you as you are. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Because you were just like me. And that's what I love about God and about gravity. Gravity puts us all on the same level. You can stand up and jump and do whatever you want, but when you get done jumping, gravity, God created gravity for a reason. Puts us all on the same level. Thank you, God, for doing that. Because now, hallelujah, I know that you are just like me. You are somebody who was desperate and destitute and in need of, of a Savior. Glory be to God. And in need of being saved. And here is the place where you ought to be able to be comfortable as you are. You don't have to change who you are in the essence of your personality. You can come into the body of Christ and be yourself. What a powerful thing. Because when we go other places, we have to fake. We have to put on a, a front. When we go to work, hallelujah, we're going through and we're <laughs> driving in the car and we think about all we're going through. And then we have to put our game face on and get there and to act like something else other than what we are. But in here, if there's going to be a place where people can be free, if there's going to be a place where people can be themselves, it ought to be here in the house of the living God. Come on, somebody. Give God a hand praise. That's my punchline to, to get a drink. So, fellowship is ordained of God. It is biblical. It is scriptural. It is commanded. We're done. The debate is over. Now, there are barriers to godly fellowship and godly relationships in the church and in the body of Christ. Let's talk about some of those barriers. Fear is one of the most strongest barriers to godly relationships in the church. Fear. And, all, and not always necessarily fear of other people, fear of ourselves. Because some of us have taken to believe that we are socially awkward. And a lot of that has to do with our upbringing. See, this is why you have to watch what you say to your children. Never tell your children they're dumb. You never tell them they're stupid, they're ignorant. You never shame your kids. God spoke something to me one time. He said, you never speak negatively towards anything that you want to see grow and develop. I read a story of an, uh, uh, a scientist or group of scientists who conducted an experiment with two flowers. You all may have heard this story before. And they treated them both the same other than putting them in the same place other than they spoke negatively every day to one 
and spoke positively every day to the other. And the consensus and the analysis show that the one that they spoke to negatively, although both were in the same sunlight, both received the same water at the same time, the one who they spoke negatively to died. That says a lot. So God said, don't speak negative towards anything that you want to see grow and develop. So fear is a barrier to godly relationships. We're afraid. Sometimes we're afraid of, of difference. Because if you go to a party, the very first thing you want to do is flock to where people are that you know because it feels awkward to be by yourself. And it is challenging to approach something new or challenging to approach a new person and ask them, how you doing? I mean, that sounds simple. But you'd be surprised how many people are so afraid and are trapped within the emotions of their own self to be able to come out of a shell and say, hi, my brother, hi, my sister, how are you doing? I'm Laron, or whatever the case may be. It takes something to do that. And guess what? We have the Holy Spirit that empowers us, for the Word of God tells us that we can do all, come on, things through Christ. So though you may have been socially awkward when you were in the world, guess what? Now that you have the Holy Spirit of God, it will give you the boldness that you need to be able to build godly relationships with folk who you don't even know, folk from different backgrounds, different cultures. Because, hallelujah, Paul even mentioned that he had the ability through the Spirit to become like everybody else he was around, to be common through the Spirit of God. That's what the Spirit of God affords us, the opportunity. It doesn't make a difference what your income is, what your credit score is. None of that matters. The fact that I, you are my brother and sister in Christ, I receive you as such. If indeed we are in Christ, all of you all here, you are my brothers, you're my sister. We're all in the family of God by his blood. So we must overcome the fear that plagues us, that keeps us from building those relationships. After church, there's a new family. After church, we flock to the folk that we know. Who is going to go to that new family, to the new person who's searching for something that just happened to walk through the door and is looking for something, especially now. Why do I say especially now? Because depression, loneliness, suicide, even within the walls of the church, is happening at an alarming rate. You don't know how much just a fellowship, a hug, or a handshake will make a difference in a person's life. The fact that you paid attention to them. And this is why it's important when people come within the walls, regardless of how they look. Because, see, sometimes... You know, we act like our pets. We got to go and smell you. <laughs> <laughs> to make sure it's safe before we be around you. You know, we look at your facial features and your ears. <laughs> and we make an assessment. And we, out of fear, we run away. But that's what I love about God is that he is so diverse. I love watching Nat Geo and all the National Geographic uh, channels and all this kind of stuff. And you look into the ocean. My God, there are some creatures in that water that are not easy on the eyes. But it's something that God created. So I can't call it ugly because God created it. So now this is something that God created. It's so diverse. He has did, did so much diversity in the earth, which shows his standpoint He's a diverse God. He's a God that believes in diversity. We have to embrace that difference because in difference, there is an alternative of perspective. If all we do is hang around the same folk and only hang around those who agree with us, we need to get around some folk who disagree so that we can open our perspective and grow. Because what that does when you don't do that, it will keep you in a place where your growth is stunted, you will have a one-track mind and never open yourself up to the possibilities of other perspective whereby you can grow and to develop. Glory be to God. So I'm not, if I'm in a room of Indians who are Christians and believers, I can fellowship with them because we have something in common. If I'm in a room of Asians, it doesn't matter. I can fellowship with them considering that they are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Somebody give God a hand praise.
So fear, but God said through his word, he has not given us the spirit of fear, but of what? Power, love, sound mind. So what are we afraid of? We have to just breach those barriers and say hi. <laughs> it's simple. It sounds simple, but you'd be surprised because the devil will talk you out. And he would tell you, oh, you're, you're so socially awkward. Nobody, uh, you, people look at you like you're weird. And, and if you say something, you always say the wrong thing. To talk you out of that fellowship, to talk you out of building a relationship with somebody who may need that. Because remember, it's by this that all men shall know we are his disciples. So when a sinner comes in looking for something and nobody touches that sinner, and I'm not talking about physically, but I mean spiritually and emotionally and personally, then are they really going to know that we are his disciples? As I walked into the church one day as a destroyed young man, somebody touched me. Somebody paid me some attention. And it altered my life. And as a result of what did, I am a pastor today. That is powerful. Somebody's future destiny life can be altered when we step out of the bounds of our fear and do what God would have us to do. That's why I used to love when they had those little bracelets, WWJD. Sometimes we need to ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? I was confronted. I went to Florida a little while ago. And there was, we came out of this restaurant, and there was a lady, I guess it was a lady, I don't know if it was a lady or a man, honestly, and all they had on was like a tore up uh, tank top, their body was exposed, they were talking to themselves, you could tell they hadn't bathed, they were just out of their mind. And we walked out of there, and we, we looked, and I'm with a group of believers, and we looked, and we, you know, kept going, and when I got in the car, I said, Lord, what am I to do with this? I said, what would you do? You know, because I say I have the Holy Spirit. I say I have this power in me. What would you do here? And I began to pray and ask God, because fear gripped my heart too, talking about the barrier. And I didn't know what to do or even to do anything. But I felt like if Jesus was there, Oh, my God, what an example that he left us. If Jesus was there, things could have been different for that young lady. And this is why, and I left and never said anything to her, and it, and it convicted me in my heart because I'm a Christian, Christ-like, or alleged to be, right? Did I have any responsibility to this, to this woman to cast out the devils in her or, or to just pray for her, whatever the case may be, but fear gripped my heart. And I had to repent and pray and see God and say, God, what is it that we are really supposed to be doing as believers? Because if you were here and you saw this young lady, I could see Jesus preaching to her. I can see him casting demons out of her. I can see him sending the disciples to get her clothes. But that's inconvenient for me. I'm on, vac come on. I'm on vacation. I didn't come here for this. But there is no vacation off of being a believer. So I had to pray and I had to repent and I had to seek God and now pray for another opportunity to get over that fear and whatever God will have me to do, whatever it is, I don't think God would have just walked past her. But oftentimes we walk past because we need to be conformed, as the scripture said, predestined us to be conformed to his, in, to the, his son's image. Amen. We need to be conformed to the image of Christ. And that's what fellowship does and brings us in this one place so that we can continue to get the preaching and teaching of the word of God so that we can be conformed to what Jesus looks like and not what we look like. I don't want to look and see me. I'm not a good person. And I'm judging myself based on the standard of the word because when I was in the world, I actually thought that I was a good guy. But when I measured myself up against the word, I realized I am no good. Even Paul says, I'm a wretch. Matter of fact, I can't even say it myself. Who shall save me from the body of this death? Glory be to God. So I'm praying and asking God to help us to be conformed to the image of Christ because there is purpose there. There is change there. When we do what Jesus would do, 
then we make an impact. And see, this is why the devil is so intimidated by you conforming. Every time you do what God tells you to do, it reminds him of Jesus. And it infuriates him because Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. He hasn't recouped yet. He went to hell. He preached in Satan's kingdom to the souls who were in captivity. Let them all out. And then he slapped the devil and took the keys of hell. And de Come on. So every time you try to be bold enough to do what Jesus does, it makes him, it infuriates him. It makes him so angry. So that's why he fights you. Fear is his number one tactic. Second is our biases. Our own biases can hinder us from having fruitful relationships in Christ. See, the enemy knows and understands the power of unity, how, how sweet and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in what? Unity. If he can keep the body of Christ divided and restrict it to our own silos, we can be easily defeated. This is strategy. We have to remember Satan was more subtle than any other beast of the field. I don't understand how a being can have so much wisdom and be foolish enough to, to rebel against God. That doesn't make sense. But it's scripture. So divide and conquer. It's an old war strategy. Divide and conquer. So he tries to keep the body of Christ divided. Keep us in our own silos. Who remember, and, I, and some of you are about to tell your age, who remember the show Voltron? That was awesome cartoon. These kids today, I'm praying, they don't have any good cartoons. <laughs> oh, my God. Have you saw some of these cartoons? We had Saturday morning cartoons. We would wake up with our bowl of cereal, and we couldn't wait to sit in front of the TV for however long it was and watch Saturday morning cartoons. But Voltron, you can learn from anything. Voltron had multiple cats, tigers, I believe they were, lions. Thank you. Lions, and I love lions, by the way. They are awesome creatures. Just shows the glory of God anyway. Uh, they were lions, and they would fight, and they were all, when they were divided, but every now and again, they would come against an enemy who was bigger than what they were individually. And that's when they would form Voltron. And when they formed Voltron, when they all came together, no adversary could, come on, y'all, do you hear me in the spirit? No adversary could defeat them. As long as they were divided, the adversary was able to get the upper hand. But when they got together, this is why the devil doesn't want to see the latter church get together. We're going to be Voltron. <laughs> Where am I going with this? <laughs> We'll be more powerful. We'll be a more formidable to defeat him. So sometimes we view others in the lens of our own biases, and this will hinder relationships. We got to get rid of the biases. We got to get rid of what was said and what was taught and what we heard. This is why sometimes it's good. I, I don't even hardly watch the news anymore. It's just so much bad information. Is anything good happening? God is up to something. We all say, oh, the devil is busy. God is too. Can I get an amen, somebody? God is too. What about the God that we serve? We're only getting the bad news. But there's some good things right now that are happening right now in this fellowship, in this room. This is good. How good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. This is good. This is some good news. So everything is not all bad. Glory be to God. So we have to escape those biases and look at each other through the lens of Scripture. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For God so loved the world that he what? Can't tell your wife you love her and never give her anything. Giving is the language of love. For God so loved the world that he sat in heaven and just talked about how much he loved us. No, he did something as a result of his love. He gave, come on, I should have got a lot of amens from the wives. His only begotten son that whosoever you are, the word of God will find you. Thank you, Jesus. Because a lot of times people are alone, although we are surrounded by others, we are alone. 
And this is what Satan aim, aims to do. This is why we must fellowship, because he wants to isolate you in your problem and tell you, you're the only one dealing with this. And he bring his pity party and try to beat you down. And there you have somebody sitting in the church who was on the verge and who was going through depression and on the verge of losing their mind. Although they're around people, they're isolated. So the word of God will find you through your brothers and sisters in Christ. You've got to have somebody in the church who you can depend on, who can pray with you, who's not going to judge you, who's not going to say, why did you do that? As if they're holier than thou. Because all have sinned, even after post-Christ. Come on, somebody. It got real quiet. Post-Christ. I've done a lot of things post-Christ they had to repent for and still do. If I would be transparent, if we all would be transparent, we are grappling after his perfection. We're not perfected just yet. But if we constantly are grappling after his perfection, then we have no distraction or attention to sin because every day we wake up, Father, I'm just trying to be like you, Jesus in my heart and in my spirit because I want to do what's pleasing in the eyes of God. This is why whatever you do in the church, you must do it as unto the Lord. Because if you do it as unto the pastor, what are you going to do when he refuses to call your name before the church when he's giving out appreciation and he, it just slips his mind? Oh, he didn't call me when I was the one that came in and I did this and I set the table. and I So now we might have an attitude with him but if you do what you do as unto the Lord oh my God he sees everything the scripture says the father who sees in secret will give you an open reward he told he said be not like the scribes and Pharisees who do they stuff before men so that they can get the accolades of man but you when you do it do it in secret for your father who seeth in secret going to be the one to reward come on to reward you openly so I don't have to make an announcement that I prayed for a brother, talked to a brother on the phone who was on the verge of suicide, whatever the case, or going through a divorce or whatever, and I pray. I don't have to come up here and make an announcement that, oh, I prayed for that brother. Because my father that saw it in secret, he's going to be the one to give me the reward. So we got to move away from how we perceive people, the biases, and just receive each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are all blood related. How? By the blood of Jesus. I'm amongst family. Glory be to God. How? We are related by blood. And as in every family, <laughs> there's somebody you may not like. But we got to get past that, especially now. That's why the Bible says to forbear one another in love. You know, sometimes you have people that are just annoying, but you have to forbear them in love and invite them anyhow. But guess what? There is some accountability, which is uh, my next point. There is some accountability in the body of Christ where a brother who is, who is uh, uh, unruly ruly can be pulled to the side and had a conversation with by somebody else in the body of Christ. That's what fellowship does in the church. It brings a form of accountability. Okay, you didn't come to church. You didn't text the pastor. You didn't call. You didn't notify nobody. Yes, you are an adult. But... Or formalities. Somebody is at liberty to say, hey, we missed you. Just checking on you. And not scolding anybody or trying to be anybody's parent. But there's some accountability. Because somebody could be going through something. As a pastor, guess what? I don't have the right to treat my wife any kind of way because of the accountability that I'm surrounded by. I'm accountable to other pastors who she can actually go to. And say, hey, he is treating me wrong, not according to the word of God. And guess what? Because Jesus said, except you have the heart of a child, I've got to sit there. I remember when we were early married, her father, she's a PK, right? He grew up and she was born on the pew. Me, on the other hand, I was a heathen. So, you know, she understood the formalities of church. And we would get into these arguments five years into our marriage. 
and I was a young minister. And after church, I'm fellowshipping with the saints, and all of a sudden, by the pastor's office door, the pastor's standing there and saying, Minister Laron, come here for a minute. He was also her dad. I go in there, maybe I'm getting ready to get accolades, uh, an assignment. And there's my wife sitting there in the chair. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, your wife tells me, you did this. Now, I have a choice to be grown and tell him, hey, stay out of my business. I'm a grown man. I don't need you trying to chastise me. I can do what I want to do. See, that's the flesh. But because I'm accountable to the word of God and I reverence him as my pastor, now as a grown man with kids, by the way, by then, I've got to sit there and be reprimanded. Amen. Come on, somebody. What a blessing that is because I was wrong. So the man of God was there to reprove. Remember the word of God said reprove, rebuke. And to rebuke me for my behavior, which caused me to think different the next time. Because the body of Christ afforded her that level of accountability. One of the strongest benefits to relationship is the accountability that we have to each other. Do you know God will put people on your mind? What do you do with that? Do you go back to watching your Netflix series? The Spirit is prompting you to do something. That person may need prayer. Don't underestimate when God brings somebody up in your spirit. Remember, the Holy Ghost is supernatural. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of man's heart. You don't have the ability, but God's Spirit does. You are not there, but God's Spirit was. You say, hey, this brother is on my mind. I need to pray for them. And not only pray, if you got the number, call, text. You know, some of us are not talkers. Some of us will see a call and, and, and dismiss it and start texting. Hey, what do you want? <laughs> Why are you calling me? But to call or text and check on that individual. Because you never know what a person is going through. And if anything is going to defeat somebody that's under the power and the oppression and depression of Satan, it is a saint of God. Because remember, God is in heaven now. He's sending you. He's not coming to talk to people. He's not coming to preach a sermon. He did that. He did the most that he could do for us on the cross. Now he wants to live his life through us. Paul said it's no longer I who live, but... Christ is trying to live a, another life through you. So here when somebody comes to our mind, we got to call. We got to hold people accountable. Accountability keeps you in line. Accountability keeps you in check. That's why they have it at work. There's a point system in some places. You don't do your job, you, you have a supervisor. You're not just there and nobody's a supervisor. There's no structure, there's no order. The body of Christ has order. You may be older than your pastor, but see, the anointing is not, is not dependent on how old you are. I'm sure Moses led people who were older than him. I'm sure Jesus had disciples who were older than him. We cannot look at age. We have to look at order. We have to look at the anointing. Who is the anointing on to lead? And that's who we are accountable to as we are accountable to each other. And guess what? The one who is leading is not uh, exempt from accountability. That's why pastors, leaders must be approachable. And I tell my saints all the time, hey, if you have a problem with anything I done or did or said, please tell me. Don't sit there and let the devil fester something in your heart and your spirit and then two Sundays I don't see you because the Bible said if you have an alt, you got to bring it. Don't assume someone should know. If you, if you have it all, the Bible said, here, tell you what, leave your gift at the altar. I'm not even interested in your tithes right now. Show you how important fellowship and brotherhood is to God. Leave your gift at the altar. Don't offer me anything. Go and make it right with your brother. Because if you say, 
you love God, who you have not seen, and you hate your brother, who you see every Sunday, the Bible is just so blunt with us. Man, God, did you have to be so harsh? You are a liar. Wow. Oh, my God. Help me, God. And it keeps us on our knees. So there has to, fellowship allows accountability in the body of Christ. That is a powerful resource and it's, and it's very seldom used. If your husband mistreats his wife, bring it before the church. That's why Paul had to set one of the churches in order who were taking things to the world. You don't have to go to the world. You know, divorce and all of that. Hey, let's talk about it here in the house of God before you just bust up and sign the papers. Irreconcilable differences. Guess what? God may be able, if you give him a chance, come on somebody. He may be able to reconcile it because in 2005, I'm a living testimony that I thought my marriage was dead and over. I gave up. And by the miracle and the bond of fellowship and, and how the church was structured and the accountability that was there that helped counsel me and coach me through, I'm 20 years in, getting ready to be 21 this year. All glory. All the married folk who married more than six months know all glory. <laughs> all glory to you, God. But it is so like Christ. It is so like Christ to make things a little difficult because difficulty will bring you to a place of opportunity. Difficulty challenges you to change. One of the most powerful things my pastor ever told me as we were in marriage counseling, and I felt everything was her fault. If she would just be more like me. You know, we say that, but we don't want that. God knew, knew better. That's why he didn't give you somebody who was just like you. He said, son, the best way to change someone is to change yourself. Let that seep in for one minute. The best way to change, because we don't have power to change people. We got to understand that. Even in the church with brothers and sisters, you may have somebody who's just a little off or whatever the case. You don't have the power to change them. The power of change lies in God. He said one of the best ways to change somebody is to change yourself. And it was ironic because every time I would go to God and tell on my wife, he had nothing to say about her behavior, everything to say about how I responded. Mm. See, God is an opportunist. He's looking for those opportunities that challenge you because that's where you tag him in. Remember WWF wrestling? We used to watch that too. The Von Erichs and, and the Ultimate Warrior. See, I'm getting, I'm getting off track. But every now and then when they were getting beat up, if they could just make it to the corner and the guy would just be sitting there like, come on, just stop. And they made it seem like it was such a struggle to get over there. But when he finally was able to make contact, tag him in, he comes in fresh, revived, Suflexing, just never understood that one, how they were able to hold their legs straight up in the air like that. Actors. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, God is looking for an opportunity for you to tag him in. Why are you trying to do this on your own? This was not designed for you to do by yourself. That's why he said, I'm going to send something to help you. I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit. It's called the helper. When it begins to get too much, you got to tag Jesus in and let him be your help. When the relationship is too much, when the problems are too much, when the marriage is too much, when the bills are too much, whatever the case may be, we need to tag Jesus in. I am not equipped to carry this by myself. I need a higher power. What a resource. See, and this one makes us different than the world because the world, when the going gets tough, they need a drink. When we were in the world, when I had a bad day, I said, I don't want any beer. I need hard liquor. I don't do that now. What resources are available now for me in the body of Christ? My knees. To go in my prayer room and not just cry, cry out to God. Because sometimes we're just crying. It is so bad. 
But cry with a purpose. Cry out to God for your heavenly Father. Cast your care on him for he careth for you. So to build those godly relationships, we got to break out of our barriers. Come on, somebody. And we got to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and get back to doing and saying, what would Jesus do? He met a woman at the well who it was not lawful for him to have a conversation with. Don't society love to tell you what you should and should not do? But we're radical. Those of us who are in Christ, we don't govern ourselves by that. We're radical. We're problem makers to the world. Yes, we are. As Jesus was. He said, hey, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, baby. If you haven't had any persecution, you might want to check to see if you be in Christ. But he met a woman at the well. What a perfect example of building a relationship. It's not lawful for them to talk. And what does he do? He starts talking. Because he governed himself, not by the social structure of his society, but by the Spirit of God. Because remember, Jesus said, I must needs go through and to Samaria. And the disciples were off to buy food. And here they find Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman. This is not lawful. What is he doing? He's breaking the laws. Amen. You're right. Because he said, I would rather obey God than man. And he builds a relationship and comes into a town and runs a revival. Oh, my God. If the church is primed and the world is ready right now to see a revival or a time that we need a revival, baby, it is right now. Structures are falling down. Relationships are dissolving. Even relationships in the church. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. We need God to restore the body of Christ. And to bring us a real revival. And something that God spoke to me, he said, guess what? The revival I'm bringing in this season is not going to take place in the walls of edifice, but in the privacy of your prayer rooms. Come on, somebody. Those who are seeking his face, who are really trying to get something from God. Because the world is trying to destroy us and force immorality down our throats and force us to be conformed. But see, Jesus said, or the word of God said, be not Come on, where my Bible readers at? Conform to this world, but what? Be ye. Where are my transformers? We just talked about it. Transform. Let me see the hands of some transformers. You go into situations and transform people's minds, thoughts, hearts. You go into work and transform the environment. Everybody is sad and dead and down. But when you come with a smile on your face, hallelujah, it does something to transform the environment. You come into church, you're leading worship, you're preaching, whatever it is. Because the Spirit of God in you, you can transform circumstances and situations that person who nobody wants to deal with nobody wants to have contact with well guess what through the boldness of the holy ghost you found a way to fellowship with somebody who may be ostracized or isolated or alone though they have a hard outer shell on the inside it's just a child oh help me holy ghost begging for somebody to pay me some Those of us who are married, we understand this, and i got a few more minutes. Those of us who are married, we understand. Our wives just want us to pay them some attention. And not just sit in front of the TV and watch football and this and that. Just pay them some attention. And you might get something out of it. <laughs> Maybe. Just a little attention goes a long way. Glory be to God. Focused attention. Building relationships. I need your attention. Don't talk to me and not look at me. I can't stand when my kids do that. I'm having a conversation. You're watching TV. No, we're, we're I will turn the TV off. Yeah, I'm crazy like that. I will unplug it <laughs> until you give me your undivided, come on somebody, attention. How disrespectful it is for somebody to be talking and you're not paying attention if they're talking to you. So we've got to pay attention and come in with a heart that is open to dismiss my biases and dismiss what I was told about you. To dismiss what they said because the devil is a character assassinator. That's why I don't 
take information from other people when they try to tell you, oh, don't mess with that person because they're no good. I don't go by that. You should never do that. Never dispel someone based off someone else's account of them. Get to know them for yourself. Because you may be dealing with somebody who just don't like that person and who's a character assassinator and just want to, because they don't like that person, turn you off to that individual. So my last point, this is why, glory be to God, that when we talk about fellowship and, and being amongst the body of Christ, we cannot have each other for dinner. What am I saying? You know how we sit around the table and, oh, boy, that dress was really short. That sister such and such wore. Did you see her? How dare her? And what was he doing? And why was she? And what did he? And gossip. The scripture says, evil communication corrupts good manners. This is why just because you're in the privacy of your home, guess what? We don't even have the privacy of our own thoughts. One day I was thinking a crazy thought, and God was like, ooh, don't forget, I'm up here. I was like, oh, uh, <clears throat> uh, so, sorry, Lord. Casting down imagination, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the old. We're not even at liberty to think what we want to think. You do not belong to yourself. I know you're 40. I know you're 50. But if you've been bought by the blood of Jesus, baby, you do not belong to yourself. You are his. Thank you. He said, bought with a price. Scripture said, you've been bought with a price, purchased by the blood of the lamb. You belong to him. If something you purchase begin to rebel, if you brought a TV home and every time you turn it on, it goes off. Every time you go to channel 30, it goes to channel 5. What are you going to do? I'm taking this thing back to the store. I'm getting rid of it. But God doesn't get rid of us. And what do they do with those products? They don't even throw them the way they refurbish them. Something was off. We did something wrong, but we're not going to throw it away. It's a bunch of refurbished folk. I wanted to refurbish. Can I see the hands of some refurbished saints? Don't be ashamed. It was like three hands. He refurbishes us. He doesn't get rid of us. When he tells us go and we don't go. When he tells us speak to the sister. Remember, he said that I'm going to write my laws in your heart. You don't have uh, uh, the Ten Commandments and all that that they had. I'm going to write my law in your heart. So whatever God tells you to do is law now. He said, hey, bless that person. There used to be a time in the church, and I'm ending, where people would bless people. I remember coming. I didn't hardly have any gas. I came on my last gas. I was too prideful to ask anybody for help. You know how that goes. I pride. I didn't say anything to anybody but God. And because the saints of God were in fellowship with him, someone walked to me and said, hey, shook my hand, and then there was a $20 bill. They were in touch with God. It brought tears to my eyes. Because God was teaching me. He was saying that I know what you're, oh, glory. I know what you're dealing with. I know what you're going through. And even though they didn't give me a big bag full of money, they gave me a, what I need. He's not the God of your wants, but he is the God of your needs. Amen. I'm going to say that again because I even like the way that sounds. He's not the God. I've got to learn that too. He's not the God of our wants. He's the God of your needs. There's some things you're going to want and pray for. He's just not going to give it to you. So when we talk about fellowship, our three points, why we fellowship, because the word of God commanded it. We got to overcome the barriers of godly relationship building. And the benefit of the relationship is that it equals accountability. Give God a hand. Praise. I'm done. Back in the hands of Pastor Mike.